Well, Happy New Year, everybody, from the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. This week, Haley and I are taking a week off, but we've chosen one of our favorite episodes from the past. We hope you enjoy it. Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday, Haley. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday. It's been a week. I'm so glad we are back in Holland, right? Yeah. That we made it back. Because we were in Chicago, and we almost, for... Oh, man, it was probably only a few split seconds, but there was a legitimate few seconds that I thought maybe I was going to be living in a parking garage in a parking garage <laughs> for the rest of my life. Yeah, we went to Neocon in Chicago this week, Monday yeah, and Tuesday. It's a big design event and in a very cool old building, but we got to the hotel early on time and we're off to a good start. Mm-hmm. We get the little parking ticket because I was going to self-park. I thought it would just be more efficient. And they had a little QR code so I could do it super easily. The guy you know, told me exactly where to go to find the entrance. And To an underground parking garage. He's looking at our vehicle. you know. He Ford Transit Connect, if anybody knows what those little vans look like. They're not the coolest, but ours, named Harv, is actually pretty cool. Yeah, he's the best. Anyway, that's what we're sitting in. He sees all that and he sends Waves us, us down. Yep, to this this ramp that just descends into the bowels of the earth, it seems like. Right? Yeah, we're like street level, but now it's going straight down. Straight. This is not like a upper tier parking garage. No. This is down straight under the city. <laughs> down, yes. There's orange light flickering on the walls as we look down. And I'm not sure exactly what that light is from. But we're going straight down this thing. And as we start to drive in, there's a sign that hits the top of Harv. And we hear this big clunk. And I get out to look. What happened? And the sign says six Six foot one or under or under severe damage will occur if you proceed. And I think, okay, the guy saw us. He He knows the vehicle. It was probably just the antenna that hit the sign. Not a big deal. That's what we thought. We Googled even how high are Harv's or Ford Transit (laughs) And it told us we're probably just fine. Yeah, it was 6'1". I think it was exactly the height. We had a half an inch to spare. Okay. And so I thought, well, let's go. Anyway, so we move slowly in and we start making the circuit, you know, and it's a very tight space. Spiral straight into the earth. Well, the ceiling keep the ceiling keeps changing. We get through the door, and then there's a different type of ceiling, and then we get past the next turn, and it's a different type of ceiling. And each time we're looking at it, thinking, "Are we going to fit under that?" Yes. So I'm back and forth, back and forth, out of the thing. We're making it. We're making it. There's no way that if we made it this far, that it's going to condense enough or constrict enough yeah. that we're not going to make it. We're good to go. We round. Like the, what feels like the eighth tight corner, and we realize there is no way. It is closed in too tight. We get close to it. I come out and take a peek at it. It's a big steel beam that's going to drag right across the the seal, the well, roof of our... It's got like a, a sprayed concrete kind of insulation-looking thing on the steel beam. Like if it had just been the steel beam, I think we would have fit, but it was this insulation stuff. Either way, we were toast, all right? So at that point, I have to relay to Haley that we've got to back up out of this horrific thing. Thankfully, you're driving because I would have been probably <laughs> at that point. Anyway, then it gets worse because as we're now there's cars. There, yes, a car comes up trying to get out. The guy looks at us, rolls his eyes. Yeah, because here we are, completely plugged. It's like a cork. Yeah, I mean we are stuck. There is no room we've either. We've got to back up, and these are tight, tight little turns. Anyway, it took a really 
long time, but I did it. Haley I did got it. us out of there. She was absolutely brilliant. You maintained your calm. Yeah. I had to get out because I was shaking too much. It's and true. I'm and then pacing. I was worrying about, okay, am I going to hit Dan as I go around this next turn? Dan's just pacing back and forth. <laughs> You're watching. You avoided me. We got out. We got back into the car and we were laughing about it. And in the end, we decided this is a perfect parable for the show because it's going to be the whole point of the show is going to be about dealing with mistakes failures, obstacles, things like that. And normally when we talk about failures, we hear all the quotes about how you've got to soldier on and persevere through failure, right? Yeah. There is a certain kind of failure or obstacle or struggle where backing out is the only way to go. Exactly. Right? <laughs> we could have soldiered on, but no success awaits at the end of that. Just a harve with no roof. Yeah. So backing out was important. And it made me think for this first segment, let's talk about the paint color problem. Because yeah, that is sometimes one. sometimes you do have to just call it. Right. What happens? Let me set up the problem and then we'll, we'll give you some ideas to work through. Because everybody struggled with this. And if you haven't, you will. We work like crazy to get the perfect paint color for our project, mm -hmm. right? We agonize over that. We get it. We start painting at home. And we always take a step back after we've rolled a little bit on the wall. And there is a moment that a lot of us know and some of us will find out where the sinking pit in your stomach settles in and you realize, I don't know that this is the right color. Right. I don't And what I mean by that is I don't know that I picked the right color. Yeah. I don't know that I like this anymore. And that's where we were at with Harv. We had that moment where do we keep going, do we not? And when it comes to a paint project like this, if you have that moment, you got to pause for just a minute. Yeah. And reassess some things like we had to with the vehicle. So we've got a few things that you can consider when and if you're in that situation. And the first one is this. It's good news. Colors change as they dry down. Yeah, sometimes you have dramatically. to let it dry before you actually judge the color. Don't roll it on and immediately assume this is not going to work out. Because I can't tell you how many times people have come back into the store saying they picked the wrong color, get a new gallon of paint, go home, look at the color, and now it looks perfect. Oh, that's sad. <laughs> so give it a little bit of time before yeah. you judge it. That's the first thing. Second, colors are affected by the surroundings. That's really important. If the wall color is a different color and you're painting over it and that old color isn't covered up by the new one, exactly. if you see both of them, it can really throw off how that new color looks. Yeah, our eyes average everything together when we look at color, so it can dramatically change your color vision when you're seeing the new color next to the old one. It's actually hard to pick samples sometimes because of that, so make sure you have a big enough area covered that you can just focus in on the single color. Right, so make sure you're viewing it the right way. Third, if you just know that you picked the wrong color, because sometimes you're just going to know. Yeah, sometimes you paint the wall pink and you realize it's Pepto-Bismo and it's not going to go any further. <laughs> right. If that's you, here's what can be done. Because it is frustrating. There's a huge amount of buyer's regret. Yeah. We feel really bad. We spent money on something and now what am I going to do with this paint? When you're in that situation, if you're in that situation, here are the things that we can do to help you with that. And the first thing is to remember that there is... A solution. We can take the paint that you've got, and in some instances, we can change it. Now, because of how paint is made, we don't have unlimited options. No, there's very specific things that we're unable to do. Like, it's really difficult to lighten a paint. White does not do a whole lot to adjust a color. So that is really hard for us. But if we have a white and maybe it just needs a little bit more warmth, that's something that we can probably help with and it can make a big difference. Right. The big thing here, every situation is different. What we can do is always a little bit different. Yeah. Stop out at any store. Give us a call. We'll work you through what we can do and we'll help you get a solution. Even if it's just a first coat of paint, you know, tweak to something close to your color 
and then you can use up the paint that you've got, and then we'll get you new paint for that second coat. The last thing, make sure you avoid the whole problem in the first place. If you can, we've got yeah. color consultants at our stores that will help. Benjamin Moore sample pints will allow you to roll the paint on the walls. You can check it out that way. And we can also hook you up with interior designers if that's what you need. Just stop out and ask. That's a great place to start and make sure you get the right thing right off the bat. Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about failure again. <laughs> But this time, the importance of persevering through. Yeah, don't back out now. That's all coming up just ahead. Stick around. Well, Happy New Year, everybody, from the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. This week, Haley and I are taking a week off, but we've chosen one of our favorite episodes from the past. We hope you enjoy it. Well, Haley, we just talked about mistakes when it comes to choosing paint colors and how to avoid them and what to do when you're in the midst of that. When and that it's okay to make the mistakes. Right, you know, it right. shouldn't stop you from doing it. Or it should stop yeah. you from doing it and make you reassess, back up, and, and find a new path. That's what we talked about last time. Now, another way to deal with failures, because that is the overarching theme of the show. Yes. Failure. <laughs> Just this episode, It's really right? lighthearted. All the other ones are profound success, right? This one, we're focusing on failure because there's so much we can learn from failure. Right? Yeah. Right. And I think that the other idea of failure is that you should just keep going. Right. And you not stop. Persevere. You make your way through. And the best way to find inspiration for this is to look at inventors from the past. You know, people who. Yeah, have... totally. They made like so many renditions of a single thing to end up at what we know today. Right. And we don't always realize all the ins and outs of the story. We don't always realize what drove it. What brought it about? Well, to pull all of this out and to really make a good point of it, we're going to focus on the invention of the telegraph. And I don't know. I was blown away when I found out that the last old school telegram was actually sent on July 14 of 2013. 2013. 2013 was the last telegram sent. I was surprised that it was still going at that point. Yeah. But it's amazing that it was that, I mean, it was functional still. Right. You know, we all think of it as antiquated and completely a thing of the past, yet it was still being used around the world. And that's yeah. a testament to how important it was, because when it came out, the telegraph was a revolution in communications. It it's was the, basically like the Internet. It was the first real step to connect the world yeah. in communication. Think about that. It's like the printing press, the Internet. Right. I mean, before the telegraph, they were sending signals via like fire or smoke. Or shouting. <laughs> Right? Shouting right. over distances, <laughs> sending a letter with someone on a horse or maybe on a boat and then a horse. But you're really relying on the physical speed it takes. You yeah, know, or like very simple messages. Right, right. All of that. This is the first time in history we're able to send complex communication over great, big, huge, gigantic distances, and it changed everything. Even after the invention of the telephone, the telegraph remained critical, largely because by the early 1900s already, the wires were connecting the world. Yeah, I mean, this would have like changed people's perspective of space and time, honestly. Right. So the telegraph was an invention that changed communication in the world, but the story of how it got here is equally remarkable, and we're going to focus on two aspects. The creation of the telegraph, which is going to be this this segment. Yep. And the next segment, we're going to hit the laying of the transatlantic cable, the, the cable that connected North America with Europe. 
And really, we're going to focus on two different people in all of this, because there's a lot of people that were involved. But first, we're going to talk about Samuel Morse and then Cyrus Field. Right. And like Haley said, there were other people involved, but we've only got so much time. So we picked the main ones. And yes, exactly. it's all history and it's all dates, but the stories are inspiring and there's something we can learn. And they're creative. I mean, right? these people had some serious... I mean, perseverance, but creativity, too. Right. So if you've ever struggled with a home project and you decided maybe I'm done, let's just listen up. Yeah, maybe, think of Samuel Morse. Started again. <laughs> All right. So, yes, let's start with Samuel Morse. And he wasn't the best student. You know, so right off the bat, there's inspiration for a lot of us. He wasn't the best student, but he did have two subjects that really appealed to him. Yeah. Painting and electricity. And I can totally relate to those two things. People always think that art and science are so separate, but I think they're extremely intertwined. So I think he had a perfect background for what he ended up being as an inventor. Well, his dad wasn't thrilled with the whole painting thing, though. No, he wasn't. He had bigger plans, but, different plans. I mean, he was a nice dad. He let him go study art in England and what? 1811? I mean, that's a big deal. Right. His dad actually sent him to England. Maybe Samuel was a little obnoxious. Yeah, he could have been. Why don't you go to England for a while? (laughs) Either way, Samuel was happy to go. He studies in England and then returns in 1815 and opens an art studio in Boston, which I had no idea about. I had no idea. Yeah, he was a legitimate painter. Yes, a legitimate painter. And he didn't receive a lot of, um, you know, public Right. I mean, not everyone can be famous. Right. Not everybody's Haley. (laughs) But Samuel did try, but he never really breaks through. So that was 1815 and the years following. Flash forward to 1825. So 10 years later, Mm -hmm. Morse is now married. He's got three children. His wife just gave birth to number three. And suddenly his big break in the art world looms on the horizon. He's commissioned to paint the portrait of revolutionary war hero Marquis de Lafayette, who's visiting D.C. at that point. Yeah. So he actually goes from Connecticut to Washington, D.C. to paint this portrait. And while he's working, he's a Really good husband. He's sending letters back and forth, you know, with his wife, who's just had their third child. I mean, that would be kind of a hard thing to leave. Yeah. And then he gets a letter from his dad. Right. No, he stays in really close contact with his wife. He's sending letters back and forth. He's receiving letters. And then he gets this letter that Haley mentioned. And his dad alerts him to the fact that his wife unexpectedly passes away at the age of 26. Yeah. Completely out of the blue. They had no idea that anything was even wrong. Well, and then by the time he gets this letter and travels back, she's already been buried. Already I mean, the been... funerals happened. Oh my goodness, yes. So that huge personal tragedy impacts him in a major way. It makes him blame the slow nature of the postal system, and then he decides at that point, according to legend, he decides at that point that he was going to create a system that allowed for faster communication. That's where the whole idea of the telegraph actually starts. That's the genesis point of it. Yeah, so this whole painting commission kind of sends him back to his roots in electricity. Right. So that was 1825 or so. By the 1830s, he's got a crude telegraph that he's kind of created, but he's still puttering with painting and he's doing the inventing on the side. He's kind of got a foot in both worlds. And at some point in the midst of that, he decides, the realization sets, I'm never going to be a famous artist. That ship has sailed. And then on top of that, he's just coming to that conclusion and he meets a couple of tinkerers, let's call them, from France. Sure. Who are tinkering, let's call it, (laughs) 
with <laughs> telegraph ideas of their own. And he's talking to them and he realizes, oh my goodness, this is my idea that I had a long time ago. I'm not going to let them scoop me on this. I'm not going to let them go out with this idea before I do. Yeah. So he kicks it into gear, builds up his nerve, and actually brings out his crude telegraph and unveils it to the public. Well, he also unveils a language that he invented for it, too. Morse code. Super important to this whole story. Yeah, which, I mean, he kind of won out as the standard because, one, his device worked better, but also because his language was superior. Right. That feels like me. No, I know my language is not superior. No, really, that's what made this all work. As Haley said, there were other telegraphs being invented and worked with. What made Morse's the standard and the one that was accepted was that it functioned better over longer distances. Mm -hmm. His could do that. But the big thing was he had a language ready to go, and that was this Morse code. Absolutely brilliant. The two things worked together. And you had mentioned when we were very first talking about this, because the way that initial telegraph worked, it was a wheel that was inked. Mm-hmm. And then paper would be brought across it. And as um, the button was pressed, and we all know Morse code with the dits and the dots yeah. and stuff like that, the longer pauses would press that roller against the paper for a longer period of time, the shorter ones a shorter period of time. So it looked like dots and dashes. It would print them. Yeah. They didn't originally listen to it and interpret it that way. They actually would pull out these papers and read them. So you created a visual language, which yeah. goes back to the painting yeah, thing. I there's... mean, that's what artists do is create visual languages for us to interpret. So I think this makes perfect sense to me. Right. He's got both aspects being played out. Now, by 1838, he sends a message across two miles of wire. That's kind of a big deal. But by 1844, he's able to send a famous message, the famous message we all know, what hath God wrought. He sends that from Washington, D.C., to Baltimore. And at that point, we've got the first time in history that a complex thought is communicated at a long distance instantaneously. Imagine that. Yeah. That would be wild. We it would seem like magic, honestly, it, at that point. It definitely would. And I think it's sometimes really important to just pause for a second and think about, like you're saying, what it was like for those people to experience that. For us, that's no big deal. And, right. and it's interesting and wow, all of that. But think about to not be able to this communicate. This is the first time. Right. All of a sudden, we can do that. Well, telegraph lines spring up throughout the U.S., connecting the furthest western settlements with the eastern cities. It's used by banks, businesses. The Associated Press comes about because of it. Well, Lincoln sends his first State of the Union address via telegraph. Right. Everyone receives it in like an hour and a half. An hour and a half. <laughs> they were calling it, I was reading some old uh, clippings from newspapers, they were calling it a, a feat of the modern world. It was amazing, a marvel that this was possible. Anyway, the telegraph takes over the U.S., but there's still a bigger challenge that's that's lying ahead, and it seems utterly impossible, and that's laying a cable under the ocean from North America to Europe. How in the world is that going to happen? Yeah, because now we've got it in the U.S. It's, you know, totally functioning in our country, but now we've got to communicate with other countries. That's the big challenge. And that seemed so impossible to the people of the time, but we're going to get to, on the other side of it, how exactly that played out and how Cyrus Field made that happen through a ton of failures. Yeah, a ton. (laughs) That's all coming up just ahead. Stay tuned.
Well, Happy New Year, everybody, from the RepcoLite Home Improvement Show. This week, Haley and I are taking a week off, but we've chosen one of our favorite episodes from the past. We hope you enjoy it. Well, Haley, we're back, and last segment, we talked about the invention of the electric telegraph by Samuel Morse and others, of course, but largely Samuel Morse. Now let's focus on the second half of the story, and that's the quest... It's exciting, isn't it? The quest. Quest to connect North America with Europe via a cable laid on the floor of the Atlantic Ocean. Now, as we mentioned at the end of the last segment, it seemed an impossible task. I mean, right now, for me, it seems an impossible task. I can't even wrap my brain around. Yeah, how many miles is that? I wish you hadn't asked that. Yeah. I really want to know now. Sorry. Well, get on the Google. (laughs) You know where that is. I should have been Googling. But for me, it seems impossible now. A major undertaking. But this was back in 1848, 1850 or so. And I I can't imagine how they were looking at it. Yeah, it'd be like going to the moon. Right. But, (laughs) But in 1851, some hope emerges when a functional cable is laid across the English Channel connecting Paris and London. However, making that transatlantic cable a reality took an investor with a tenacious amount of commitment. Yeah, he really did not give up. This is like a totally different view on failure. Right. You last, know? The last <laughs> segment, the failure was, or the big struggle, the obstacle was the death of Samuel Morse's wife. Exactly. And how that tragedy, rather than shutting him down, actually propelled him to create the telegraph. Yeah, he wanted a solution. He wanted a solution for a major problem in his life. Cyrus Field is going to show us perseverance despite a million failures. Yeah, by the age of 20, he was a partner at a paper company. And at the age of 33, in 1853, he retires because he's already a wealthy man at the age of 33. I know. I can't even remember. I got three years. (laughs) I don't even remember when I was 33. Pretty sure I wasn't wealthy. And if I was, I want to know what past Dan did. With all of the wealth that he accumulated. (laughs) I'm going to just assume he didn't accumulate anything. So anyway, Cyrus Field, he's retired. He's wealthy. He's done everything, right? Mm -hmm. But he's only 33. Yeah, he's got like a lot to do still. A lot to do. So in 1854, he has a very interesting meeting with a man named Frederick Gisborne. Now, Gisborne is there simply because he's trying to get Field to invest in his own plans to lay a telegraph cable from Newfoundland to New York City. Now, Field isn't really enthused about that idea. Yeah, he just Eh. thinks it's like, okay. And then the guy leaves. He's kind of talking about this meeting with his brother, and he's looking at the globe, kind of spinning it around. In his study, that's important. His his study. (laughs) He's a wealthy man. Um, But then he has this idea that, okay, this is just small stuff that this guy was talking about. I want to do something bigger. I want to connect North America and Europe. Right. He's looking at the globe and he comes up with the idea that it's possible. Yeah. And that globe, just on a side note, is actually, it's it's a real thing. It's not just a, a, a nice add-on to the story. We can go and see it at the Smithsonian. The thing that inspired it. The thing that inspired this transatlantic cable is in the Smithsonian. And in fact, if you Google... Uh, Cyrus Field, you'll find photos of him standing by his globe. Oh, wow. He was very this proud of This is like a real globe. prop of his. <laughs> yeah, he really liked it. Anyway, he becomes convinced that that project could be done, and he goes to work raising money. Now, in 1857, he's got everything together, and he's got two ships loaded with cable, and they leave Ireland. There's a huge send-off. Everybody's oh, yeah. cheering. 
probably in accents because it's Ireland. <laughs> for them, it didn't sound like accents, but for us, it would have been pretty awesome to listen to. Well, but, it's a little sad because it does. Yeah. It ends in failure. It does end in some <laughs> failure. The cable snaps about 200 miles from shore. Can you imagine going back? No. It just sent you off. No. And now here you are again. But then he tries again in 1858. Of course, this time a storm happens and it actually snaps 100 miles offshore. <laughs> right. He's back even sooner. Then he tries a third time because like we said at the beginning, he is absolutely tenacious. He tries a third time in July of that same year. So 1858. And he succeeds. He arrives in St. John's, Newfoundland, which is the easternmost point of North America. And he arrives there on August 4. That's important. Soon the cable is operational and absolute pandemonium breaks out in New York. They're all excited. Everybody's yeah. cheering. Queen Victoria sends a congratulatory message to President James Buchanan. Oh, my goodness. It's a big deal. It's a big Everyone deal. Everyone thinks that he's amazing. He is a god among men. Everybody loves him. And then the cable goes dead after just three weeks. Ugh. Suddenly he goes from being the hero to being vilified. Yeah, people hate him now. People are so fickle. <laughs> My goodness. The next few years for poor Cyrus Field are really tough. So the Civil War kicks in, delays everything. But he doesn't quit. He's still working, raising money, trying to get better cable, you know, come up with plans for all of those things. Yeah. And he mounts another attempt in July of 1865. So now we're talking what? About... Eight years or so, seven years or so since yeah, it's a big break. the last one. There's a big break. But he's got better cable this yeah, time. Yeah, he's prepared. Things are looking good. And then a freak accident happens and the cable breaks 600 miles offshore. 600 miles from the finish line. Ugh. Most people would be done at that yeah, point, right? Yeah, this is like painful. So painful to listen to. But he's not. He's still upbeat. So maybe he's got some other issues. <laughs> But I'm going to just roll with the fact that he's absolutely tenacious. He's convinced this is going to happen. So he does it again in 1866, and this time he makes it all the way. A cable is laid across the floor of the Atlantic, and soon we've got messages flowing readily between the U.S. and Europe. And he fixes the broken cable. They find the broken cable and fix it. So now he's done it twice, basically. Yeah, he's got two cables that are working. And in the years that follow, underwater cables are soon connecting the Middle East with India, Singapore with Australia. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this whole big talk, by the end of the 19th century, the entire globe is wired for communication. Yeah, that would be insane. It's absolutely amazing. It's one of the great things of studying history. We get to see the whole process, right? We get to see the ups and the downs, and we get to see all the struggles that people go through to get there. Because it seems superhuman, you know, to just create this out of nothing. To know that there were failures along the way, I think, is a much more realistic picture well, and helps us in our own lives. Right. It's so important. If all we know is so-and-so made this and yeah. so-and-so invented that, it seems like they're just brilliant, you mm -hmm. know? And they are. They are just brilliant. Yeah. But these things don't leap from concept to reality right. without all kinds of bumps along the way. Exactly. Think about all the tragedies that occurred, you know, for Cyrus Field, the personal tragedy that occurred that drove Samuel Morse to create the telegraph, which changed everything in our world. If you've struggled, that's the whole bottom line of all of this. Yeah. If you've ever struggled through a project, and I talked to people, man, just a couple of weeks ago, I talked to somebody who said, oh yeah, I don't do that anymore because of this last experience. I don't paint anymore, I just hire it done. Or I don't try to build that anymore because this last one went so bad. Don't necessarily bail on it. Sometimes it's worth plowing through 
And maybe that next big success is just around the corner. Well, and you've got to reassess in between. But yeah, I think you can learn things each time and you get better. Right. You stay focused. You stay persistent. You be open to adjustments. Yeah. Life's going to throw different things at you. You got to move. You got to pivot a little bit. Most importantly, though, you got to keep trying. You're never going to get anywhere if, if you, you don't, don't keep try. trying, right? Yeah. Except with the parking garage that we started this whole show with. <laughs> If we'd have kept trying, uh, we'd have had a problem. So, but I did keep trying to back out. You did keep trying to back out. <laughs> and that may be part of the process, too. Anyway, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about a great accent wall project that's quite unlike anything we've ever talked about before. Yeah, more modern. A little more modern. We're going to hit that in just a minute. Stick around. Happy New Year, everybody, from the Repcolite Home Improvement Show. This week, Haley and I are taking a week off, but we've chosen one of our favorite episodes from the past. We hope you enjoy it. Well, Haley, we're going to talk about accent walls. And before we do that, I have to fess up to something very briefly. Oh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You remember last week how we started the show? Do you remember? I know that's asking a lot. See, I really pay a lot of attention and really focus on the importance and and, and the content I'm to that think comes of out what of my you mouth. Could possibly be talking about. Well, what I talked about last week was my superpower moment, where I found that I had like super speed. I was racing right. on the yard with the kids, and I was so surprised that for somebody who's rarely run over the last few years, my little walking and and maybe gym exercises have turned me into what I thought last week was like a superhero. <laughs> Well, it turns out it was just a moment in time, a flash in the pan, because last night I went running on the yard to recapture that same, you know, amazing uh-huh. rocket speed. And I think the muscle on my right leg fell off. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of pain that happened, I should have stretched or done something or oh just not run. Yeah, the kids thought it was hilarious once they realized I wasn't having a heart attack and that I was going to be okay. Rolling on the yard. Seriously? So, Dad, how's your super speed working? (laughs) Just get me into the house. Get a wheelbarrow. Help me get in the house. So, anyway, I had to let you know that that moment that I bragged about, what is the the biblical saying? Pride goeth before a fall. Very literally. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) Bragged it up last week, laying on the yard this week. Anyway, let's get to accent walls. <laughs> I just, you know, strangest transition. <laughs> I had to own up to that mistake, but we just ran our Instagram contest. Just yes. wrapped it up. We've got a winner, Doug Sturk. Yeah, longtime yeah, painter. Longtime painter. It turned out randomly chosen. He's got a new solo stove, and that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was so fun seeing people's projects and pictures being shared with us. I really hope that people keep sending those photos our way because it's so fun to see what happens to our paint when it actually leaves the store. Well, in fact, that's what this whole segment is about, is one of these pictures that we ran into that we loved the concept. Yeah, it was like this modern accent wall, and I've been seeing more and more of these on Instagram and Pinterest, but essentially, there's two different versions I've seen one that's kind of like a slatted wall mm-hmm. um, where you've got kind of like the thin furring strips going vertical. Mm-hmm. Another one where it's a more geometric pattern and same kind of small, thin pieces of wood, but they're arranged in a pattern this time. Right. 
Now, we should mention that we've got some pictures in the show notes so you can check out what we're talking about. Yes. We're not talking about like shiplap or anything like that that covers the wall completely. These are strips arranged with gaps in between or significant gaps in in between in some instances. And also, like you said, that that geometric one that you just described, they're basically creating large rectangles and squares on the wall of empty space, right, with these wood strips raised out. So you've got this, you know, uh, a three-dimensional effect going on, and then they paint the whole thing one color. I mean, there's so many different options, and that's what we're going to get into. exactly. A lot of, I mean, these are truly accent walls. I think people are using usually pretty strong colors, but I've also seen people just paint these white, just like the rest of the house. And at that point, it's just adding a lot of texture. And overall, I think these add a lot of interest to a space. And there's so many different places you can use them, and we'll get into all of that. But just to better describe kind of the first one that I mentioned, uh, the version where it's kind of the small furring strips. And you said that furring strips are not necessarily the best wood. Right. That's It's more of a, yeah, a wood that's meant to be covered up usually. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know home projects and DIY stuff and that we read online, people will use furring strips. They're using them just because they're pre-made and, and kind of the they're size the right they size, want. Yeah. But they're not great wood. So I'd recommend just getting better wood, ripping it to the size you need or whatever you need to do. There's all better ways to go. There's MDF trim, you know, that's not Right, um, like the contoured. pre-prime stuff. Right. I've seen people use those. That seems like maybe a good way to go if you don't have a lot of tools around. <laughs> right. But the nice thing about these projects is whatever wood you end up using, yeah. it's going to be inexpensive. Right. And you don't need a lot of tools to do it. It's a great gateway project. It's the kind of thing that you can jump into, get a few key tools like a chop saw, and we'll get into the tools you need at the end. But get a few key tools that will work on tons of projects down the road. Yeah. You'll get your feet wet, but you really can create some amazing things. So you finish describing the slat wall thing because you started. Okay. So these strips of wood are probably like two by one pieces of wood, and they're going to go vertically up and down across an entire wall sometimes or just a section and they've got maybe a three quarter inch gap in between each vertical strip and that could be varied too i mean there's no real standard there's no standard maybe you want them closer together than that farther apart but around there is what we're seeing most of right and then people are either painting those the same color as the wall or we've seen people paint each strip a different color so you have like a gradient working across or people leaving them natural wood colors and then they've got a contrasting paint color behind it so you can kind of see it coming through but it creates a lot of interest a lot of interest i saw i think it was a kitchen that i showed you that was Man, how many different colors? It was like a rainbow. <laughs> Five or six primary colors. Yeah. You know, they worked, the colors worked well together. Yeah. But it was bold. I mean, incredibly bold, but mm-hmm. so interesting. Great for a kid's room or yeah, something like that. Yeah, it would like be that. fun for a, a kid's room. A lot of fun, easy to do, and really, really a unique look. You get all kinds of dimension and, and height. Yes. So many different things. It would things add a lot of height it. to a room. But the other one. I think it's maybe more simple. It wouldn't take quite as much wood. Mm -hmm. And that's just a geometric pattern that you're building. And a lot of these patterns are going to use diagonal lines. So they're kind of making a lot of triangle and polygon shapes on the wall. And they range dramatically as far as how complicated or simple they can be. There's a lot of different options out there. You can create your own, um, but we'll definitely have some inspiration pictures 
in the show notes. Right. The one that we noticed on Instagram that one of our customers posted was mm-hmm. that, a diagonal. And I believe they used a, a black paint. It, yeah. And it was black on the wall, black on this. And yeah, the tone on tone looked great. It really did. Gave, you know, in some instance, it kept the um, the visual pattern from being overly busy. Right. And yet still a lot of visual interest. Yeah. And I think, again, these don't have to be an entire wall. And that's kind of what I want to talk about now is where to use these. Because, I don't know, I think some people think they've got to really commit to something like this in Mm -hmm. order to pull it off. But really, I've seen a lot of interesting pictures where people are just using this sort of pattern for kind of a faux headboard behind their bed. Or they're using it behind the TV to kind of create like a little acoustic panel almost. So the sound isn't traveling quite as much. Um, people are using them above fireplaces, defining like a reading nook, so just kind of spanning a corner with it. You could even just use it behind accent shelves or an art wall or maybe hanging plants, right? So it doesn't have to be overwhelming the space. And in all of these, it's it's sometimes vertical, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes they're doing the slat wall that you described, sometimes on an angle, yeah. Really, it, it's, it can be open to anything. Right. How do you get a feel for what I want to do? You know, I, I, I can't quite picture it. And yet there's a really quick way. So I'm asking you, but I know the answer. Yeah. Frog tape. Such a simple way. Yeah. Just get inch and a half, inch thick mm-hmm. frog tape. The yellow frog tape works really well because it's safe release. You can put that on and pull it off, even wallpaper or something like that. But you can lay these on those angles and kind of figure out exactly what layout for the wood would work best. You can remove them, exactly. reposition them, and then once you've got it looking the way you want, if you decide that's that's the thing, now you can mark it all up and then toss your wood on. Yeah, I think it's a really easy way to visualize this sort of thing because this is a very different project. So to visualize it in your own space may be difficult at first. So definitely taking the time to kind of lay it out, get an idea of what it might feel like is a good starting point. But then it's really, you know, measuring, making sure you've got all the right tools and making sure that you've got enough wood to complete the project. Well, and the tools are relatively simple. And the big thing that I like about this is that they're the kind of tools that you're going to use on a lot of different projects. True. You know, the specialty tools, that's always one of those things where you got to weigh, is this project worth that? Do I hire it done? Do I rent something? But a lot of these, they could be rented if you yes. want to go that route. But these are things that are really worth purchasing, like a level. Yeah. You know, if you don't already have one, that's, that's something definitely you definitely want to get. Have. Tape measure. Like Haley mentioned, the wood that you'd need. A nail gun. Honestly, could be used for so many different projects down the road. You could rent it if you don't want to invest in this tool, but it is one that really opens a lot of doors for you if you do decide to buy one. Right. A nail gun and a compressor, we'd recommend probably a trim nailer. Yes. There's all kinds of different things you can get, but there are pin nailers that will do stuff for small little projects. A brad nailer. A brad nailer. Again, small little projects or very, very narrow pieces of wood that you're nailing up. For this project, we're probably talking trim nailer is going to be the best way to go. And you're gonna be able to get that up there and it'll be it'll stay up there. I did it'll a stay number up there. <laughs> I did a number of projects right in my first house where dad had a little brad nailer. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about it, but use that and was continually pushing the trim back against oh, the wall. <laughs> so yeah, I want to make sure you get the right nailer, but you will use it so much, so many different things. The right paint. What would yes. you recommend? Really, it's it's just going to be wall paint wall at this paint. point. Yeah. I mean, you could do it in just about any sheen. I think a lot of these 
walls are being done with probably a matte finish um, just so you're not seeing so much of the sheen you're really letting the texture of the wood pieces be the highlight right repco lights optima benjamin moore scuff x so many different options if you use the furring strips with a lot of knots in them you're going to want to make sure you use a special primer to block out any tannins that might bleed through you know you don't want to see all that brown through there so we'll help you with all of that stop out at a store check out the pictures online See what you think. Maybe you can come up with your own idea. And whatever you do, make sure you're sharing those pictures with us on Instagram. All right, Haley, that's it. That's all the time we've got. We're going to wrap it up. If you want to catch this one again, you can find it online at RepcoLite.com. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. The RepcoLite and Port City Paint stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening.